0: Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches us from our Pray Like Paul series. And This week, we're going to talk about uh, praying for faith, praying for faith. And so faith is an important element. Would you agree it's important to have faith? Faith is the core of what we believe. It's at the core of who we are as Christians is faith. We have faith in God. And if you know anything about the Scriptures, you know anything about the Gospels, you know there's, there's, a, there's a, one of the disciples kind of gets a bad rap because he struggled in faith. And you, you might know his name. Some people call him Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I've been called a Doubting Thomas before. Uh, my kids will call me a pessimist. When you think of Doubting Thomas, you think of pessimism. and So my kids will say, I'm a pessimist. And I say, no, I'm just a realist just a realist (laughs) it is what it is I see it for what it is and and so sometimes I can have doubts you know and and I can speak those doubts and be a little worried or concerned about things but doubting Thomas doubting Thomas if you've known a doubting Thomas that struggled to believe struggled to have faith look at look at John 20 before we look at Paul's prayers in Ephesians look at John 20 says now Thomas one of the twelve called the twin was not with them when Jesus came So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. They're telling Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. Doubting Thomas. Faith. Will we believe? And we need to pray for faith. We need to pray for faith that we would believe. Thomas wanted to believe. I believe he wanted to believe. We will see this later in the message. I believe Thomas wanted to believe, but he struggled with his faith. Unless I see, I will not believe. So the Apostle Paul talks about faith in this prayer, these prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Look at Ephesians 3. Uh, We'll look at just verse 16 and verse 16, 17, and verse 20, it says, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through faith. And look at verse 20 of Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and this is having faith, now to him, not glory to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or think. Pray for faith. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. So what we're going to look at this morning is, is our faith walk, is our walk of faith. That it, faith is the core of who we are as believers. But we don't always walk in faith. We don't always feel filled with faith. Am I the only one? Am I the only one that struggles sometimes to be doubting Thomas? Right? We don't always feel filled with faith. And maybe there's some here this morning, you haven't even started your journey of faith in Christ. Christ doesn't dwell in your heart through faith. So we're going to look at our faith walk today and why we should pray for faith, why we need to pray for faith. So kind of three elements of our faith walk. What should we pray for? Here's the first one. We need faith to believe that Jesus is, that he is, that he is. That he exists. We need faith to believe that Jesus is. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need to pray for faith to believe that Jesus is. Did you hear the songs we sung today? This, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Virgin birth. We need faith to believe. Faith to believe. Hebrews 11.6 says what? It's a Famous scripture, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is, some translations say, and that he rewards those who seek him. We need faith to believe that he is, that he exists. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So, if it is impossible to please the Lord without faith, and you all desire to please the Lord, or you wouldn't be here today, right? So if it's impossible to please the Lord without something, well, what is the something that pleases the Lord? It's faith. So then we need to know what faith is, don't we? If it's impossible to please the Lord, and we all desire to please the Lord, and the Scripture tells us what pleases the Lord, then we need to know what faith is. What is faith? Well, faith is trust. It's trust. It's belief. It's confidence in having confidence in it's relying upon, it's reliance upon, and so yes, that 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 is faith. You've heard of the of the trust fall game. Have you played the trust fall game before? Where somebody says, "Stand in front of me, turn your back to me, and then put your hands down, and then and then you fall back." And what are you doing when you're doing that? You're having faith that they're not a knucklehead, and that they're not going to just let you hit the ground. You're having faith that that they're strong enough to catch you. You're having faith that they're going to keep their word, right? And so it's faith is trust. Faith is belief. Faith is confidence in, reliance upon. This is faith. But when we're looking specifically at Ephesians 3 and Hebrews eleven six, that word faith has a broader meaning than just reliance, than just confidence, than just trust. It literally means Christian doctrine, Christian faith. So when the Apostle Paul says that, that that he's praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, and that the, the writer of Hebrews says that without faith it's impossible to please God, to please him, what he's talking about, what is being said there, is that it's talking about faith in Christ, specific faith, faith that is in Christ, not a generic faith, not a general faith in God. There are people that are a lot of religious people in our world, and they'll say they have faith. So they have faith. I have faith. I have faith in a politician. That's very rare. But I have faith in in this person, that person. I have faith in this religion. I have faith in this God or that God. But when we're talking about faith, Christian faith, it is specific. It is centered around Christ, and it's centered around Christian doctrine. Those songs we sang, I believe in God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth, the ascension, the resurrection. Those are things that make up the Christian faith. These are the tenets that we hold to. So this is the faith. It's not just trusting God, generally speaking. It's trusting God specifically with who he is, the fact that he is was born of a virgin, the fact that he lived a sinless life, the fact that he died a criminal's death, and the fact that he rose from the dead three days later, he ascended to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will return one day to bring us home. We need faith, that faith. We need faith to believe that Jesus is. This is the faith that pleases God. In the book of Acts, you can look, read through the book of Acts, get to Acts 17. Paul is speaking to a group of philosophers, the men of Athens. It says about the men of Athens that they they just wanted to sit around and talk about new doctrine, new belief, new philosophies, the new ideas that are going around in the culture. They were deep thinkers. And so the apostle Paul comes and and listen to what the apostle Paul, how he starts here. He starts generally with the general revelation of God, but watch what he says. Watch how he turns. Verse 24. The God who made the world And everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So you you notice where Paul starts with these deep thinkers, these philosophy guys. He says, God made the heavens. He made the heavens. God, that there is a creator. There is a God who made all that you see. And you're thinking deeply, trying to figure out the deeper things of life. And in essence, he's pointing to these enlightened people, these deep thinkers. Hey, there is a God. But it's not enough. That's not the type of faith that pleases God. This is the type of faith that pleases God. Paul continues. "The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You saw that? God of creation, Christ raised from the dead. The faith that pleases God, yes, we need to believe that God is creator. But the faith that pleases God is to believe in the God of creation who sent his son. And that we believe in his son who lived and died and rose again. This is the faith that pleases God. We need faith to believe. We need to pray for faith to believe. And it's very popular right now in our, in our culture, in our Christian culture, uh, for people to deconstruct. You've heard of the term deconstruction. Um, it's the idea of walking away from the Christian faith. You know, there was a, the, the way I see it, the way I've seen it over the last three or four years in particular, there was one man who kind of in the Christian community has been the one that has really spearheaded this movement and been the one that kind of made it even popular to deconstruct. Uh, his, name, his name is Joshua Harris. Many of you may have heard of Joshua Harris Um, he he wants everyone to know that he is no longer a Christian. Joshua Harris wrote a book years ago that my wife and I read uh, when we were dating, and then he wrote a second book about marriage that we read when we were dating and engaged. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was writing, he was in his early 20s when he wrote the book, and he he wrote a book about dating God's way, Right? That we're not just purposeless da- purposelessly dating. That was the heart of the book. That, it, that we're not dating as a Christian is, We're not just going from one partner to the next just to not be lonely. That we're gonna, when we date somebody, we're going to take it serious enough to protect their heart and to do it with intentionality. And so that was the heart of his book. And, and it sold 1.2 million copies as a 2021 20, year old. It was amazing. He, be, he really became an overnight sensation within the Christian circles. And he wrote more books. And then he became a pastor of a church. And he pastored at church for 10 years, and and then he just stopped. He just quit. He was married to his wife for 20 years, and the first announcement that went out on his Instagram page was that him and his wife of 20 years were separating and divorcing. And then the next post came. A little while later, July of 2019, Joshua Harris said this on Instagram, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase for this is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. And I remember reading that post, and it made Christian news. I just was so heartbroken. Joshua Harrison, he would get up behind the pulpit of his church. I would listen to him preach. I I remember specifically, I remember whenever he became pastor of the church that he pastored for 10 years. It was pastored by a long-tenured pastor. And I remember... Early on in my days, I remember telling my wife watching him transition into being a pastor. This is when we first started attending at Living Word or right before. I, I can see myself doing that. I can see myself doing what Joshua Harris is doing and, and transitioning into being a pastor. And so I remember looking up to him and thinking, wow, what a great, look what God's done in his life. And then he just dropped it all and he left it all and he says, I am no longer a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian. Joshua Harris said in his post that the biblical phrase for deconstruction is falling away. The biblical phrase is apostasy. That's the biblical phrase. Falling away, apostasy. He became an apostate. He's, he apostatized. He is, it's apostasy. Now, apostasy... As long as Joshua Harris is alive, it will remain to be seen if he dies in apostasy. As long as he has breath, there's hope that he will return and repent and and follow Christ as Savior. But it's apostasy. And and listen, while certainly there could be bad beliefs and bad doctrines that Christians need to deconstruct from, not all deconstruction is bad. There were seasons in my life where I deconstructed from bad doctrinal beliefs that I was taught growing up. By well-meaning people and pastors and church leaders at large. You know, we listen, listen, listen. So important. We listen to so many voices in the Christian world, don't we? How many voices do we listen to? A lot. You're not just listening to my voice one hour per week. Listen to a lot of voices and certainly there's a lot of bad ideas that are out there. There's a lot of bad theology and doctrine that's out there. And so deconstruction, all deconstruction is not bad. I went through a season of deconstructing according to God's word, but I was going to God's word for truth. That's the difference. Deconstruction that Joshua Harris went through and others is they no longer believe in God's word. This is apostasy, rejecting Christ. The deconstruction movement is centered around apostasy, leaving the faith, denying Jesus, and it's trendy now. Joshua Harris and others, it's trendy on YouTube. And I want to tell you, the pressure's in our culture to not believe are very strong because of men and women like this because of men and women who don't know the Lord men and women who mock Christians who mock Christianity who mock faith who mock those who follow the Lord the pressures are hard in our culture you know the Apostle Paul says this in 2nd Corinthians 10 this scripture won't be on your screen there but the Paul the Apostle says this the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And he says this in verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so the pressures for us as believers are strong in our culture to not believe and to walk away. And so we need to pray for faith to believe that Jesus is and I just want to when you to think about that for a moment. We, we start our Christian journey in faith, but, but may we not believe that the enemy is not interested in attacking that faith, that faith in the resurrection, that faith in the virgin birth, that faith in his substitutionary death on the cross, the faith in his soon coming return, right? The enemy wants to attack all of those fundamental beliefs that we know are true according to God's Word and what he's done in our life personally. And so we have to cast down, take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, Joshua Harris was not the first deconstructor. I don't know if that's a word, deconstructor. You know who the first one was? Judas. Judas Iscariot was the first disciple of Jesus to become an apostate. He was the first to to deconstruct. When someone walks away from the faith in Jesus, listen, here's another thing to think about. When they walk away from the faith in Jesus, Joshua Harris didn't just walk away from faith, He stepped into another faith. He walked away from faith in the sufficiency, authority of God's word, and in the resurrection of Christ, but he walked away and he walked into another faith. You don't leave faith and go to no faith, though they think they may. You go from faith in Jesus to faith in something or someone else. And ultimately what Joshua Harris walked into was faith in his own understanding. He has faith in himself. He's banking on himself that he's right. He's banking on himself that he is right. And so that's what people do. Everyone believes in something or someone. People will often replace Jesus with nature. They'll replace Jesus with experiences. They'll replace Jesus with pleasure, with Jesus with themselves. But listen, I want to conclude this first thought here about why we need to pray for faith. Here's a sobering reality for for the Joshua Harris's of our day. Listen to God's holy word, Hebrews 10. Verse 31 says, to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. Wow. Now listen, doubts are not wrong. Doubts are not wrong. Doubts are not bad. Questions are okay. God's not scared of our questions. If you do have questions, you do have wonders and doubts and you're confused about things in scripture, we are here, pastors, fellow mature Christians, come with your questions, come with your doubts, let's talk, let's dialogue, let's debate, let's, let's work it through. But may we never approach deconstruction or, or walking away from the faith with this kind of pithy idea. It's just this, this thing that we can do and it's popular and it's trendy and it, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. If that's what you want to bank on, that's fine. But if the word of God is true, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 should change the way we approach that idea and that subject. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of living God. Listen to what it says there. Outraged the spirit of grace? Who's ever heard that term? The spirit of grace is outraged. Wow. The question is today, as I pivot here, do you believe? Do you believe? Luke 18, 8, Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Listen, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Listen to Charles Spurgeon speaking about faith right here. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. When Jesus comes, he will look for precious faith. He has more regard for faith than for all else that earth can yield him. The last day will be occupied with the great scrutiny, and that scrutiny will be made upon the the essential point. Where is their faith? And where is their no faith? He that believeth is saved, and he that believeth not is condemned. Listen to Spurgeon. A search warrant will be issued for our houses and our hearts, and the inquiry will be, where is your faith? Do you honor Christ by trusting his word and his blood, or did you not? Did you glorify God by believing his revelation and depending upon his promise, or did you not? The fact that our Lord at his coming will will seek for faith should cause us to think very highly of faith. It is no mere act of the intellect. It is a grace of the Holy Spirit which brings glory to God and produces obedience in the heart. Amen. a search warrant will be issued for our houses and our hearts. We need faith to believe that Christ is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Pray for faith, to stay in the faith. Secondly, we need faith to believe not only that he is, but secondly, that he is able. We need faith to believe that he's able. Look back to Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work in us, to Him be the glory. We need faith to believe that He is, but we need faith to believe that He is able. That He's able. Do we believe that God is able? You believe God's able. This word "able" comes from the the Greek word "dynami," which we know we get from the word the English word "dynamite." It means power. It means dynamite power. Able, God is able. He has dynamite power. He's all-powerful. We believe that he's all-powerful. We need faith to believe he is all-powerful, sufficient to meet every task. Paul wants to use every word possible to convey to us the vastness of God's power as found in Jesus Christ. And this acrostic here, I think, helps drive it home here. Look Look up on the screen there. Now unto him that is, Now unto him that is, he exists, he is. Now unto him that is, is what? Able to do all. He's able to do all. Now unto him that is, that exists, he's able to do all. To do what? Above all. He's able to do all, but he's able to do above all. And then he's able to do abundantly above all, Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. And then he says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all. This is our God. We need faith to believe that our God can do the impossible, that He is able. God is supernatural. He's supernatural. We have nature, don't we? You have the sun, the moon, and the stars. We have nature. We have things that of nature. This is made of wood. This pulpit's made of wood. It came from nature, but God is above nature. He is supra, supernatural. He's above nature. This is the core of who God is. He's supernatural. He's above nature. He controls nature. The very essence of biblical Christianity is that God is God, and he is all-powerful. And we need faith to believe that. We need faith to believe that. He's supernatural. You know, there have been many throughout history that have doubted God's supernatural ability, right? Many throughout history. Joshua Harris began to doubt God's supernatural ability, that he was actually God. He wants to talk about how he believes in some higher power, right? But he, doubt, he started doubting the supernatural claims of Scripture. There have been many throughout history, long before Joshua Harris, that doubted the supernatural the the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, the reality of miracles. People have doubted that. None more famous, I think, than Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States. He, he served from 1801 to 1809. Thomas Jefferson was known as a as an inventor and a tinkerer and and tinkering with things, and, 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 and working on things, and twisting things, and, 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 and inventing things. And, and, but Thomas Jefferson started going to the Bible and started tinkering with the Bible. Many of you have heard about the Jefferson Bible. And Thomas Jefferson said, I, I just cannot believe in the miracles of Jesus. I can't believe in the miracles of the gospel. I believe in the God, but I can't believe in the miracles of the gospel. So, so he, he, he wrote, he went to the Bible, and he started cutting out every portion of the New Testament that had any form of of something that was supernatural. The virgin birth, the resurrection from the dead, Jesus turning water into wine, healing of the sick, raising of the dead, feeding of the 5,000, just cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. And when he was done with the New Testament, he had an 84-page New Testament, the Jefferson Bible. The Jefferson Bible. And the Jefferson Bible was a reflection of his time. The time that Jefferson lived was called the Enlightenment period, or some people called it the Age of Reason. As science began to increase in society and the scientific method and science begin to gain more knowledge, then we become, as humans, we become more intellectual and we understand more and we become greater in our knowledge. And so certainly God can't turn water into wine. That can't be true. And certainly a dead man can't get up out of the grave. That can't be true. And so then, in the Enlightenment period, men, philosophers like John Locke and Immanuel Kant and David Hume, they, 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 they influenced a generation of people in the age of reason to begin to doubt supernatural realities, the realities of the spiritual realm. Men have been reasoning their way around God and His supernatural ability for centuries. But you know what's amazing about this, I guess the paradox of all of it, the the just it's amazing to think about no matter how enlightened you become no matter how understanding you become no matter how much scientific knowledge you gain the miracles of God are everywhere they're everywhere and there's no human being that can exist without the miracle of God the fact that we have oxygen in our lungs and we wake up every day is a miracle of God that we overlook every day the sun rising every day and the sun setting every day and the, the earth perfectly tilted on its axis to, to, to perfectly sustain human life, that we're not too close to the sun to burn up or too close to the moon to freeze up. Men like Thomas Jefferson, men and women throughout centuries that have tried to do away with God and, and say that, that we can't believe in the supernatural are living in the middle of a miracle every day. Every day. Every day. I mean, think about the human body. Think about how complex it is. And I often think about when I, when I see a woman pregnant or when my wife was pregnant and we had babies, those babies are living inside a fluid. Wow. <laughs> Try to live inside a fluid today. How is that gonna happen? I know this is really sad to say this, but Matthew Perry died yesterday, one of the stars of Friends, because he died in fluid, in water. You can't live in water. You will drown. But before you can't live in water, you live in water for nine months, and you live. Miracles are everywhere. The evidence of God being supernatural and controlling all that we see in creation, shouts to his majesty and his glory and his power, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. This is our God. He is supernatural. From the miracle of our birth to the oxygen we breathe after birth, the universe we are living in, all of it. Psalm 14.1 rightly says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The miracles of Jesus as recorded in the gospels they declare who he is. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can heal the sick. Only God can control nature. And here's the truth about God. There's nothing too hard for him. Do you believe that? Nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too far gone. And there is no one outside of his reach. Nothing too hard. Nothing too far gone and no one outside of his reach. Why? Because he's able. Because he's God. He's the one that's sustaining and holding the universe in his hands. Uh, th- th- what, what we experience as humans in this life is not the result of evolutionary function. It's not the result of a big bang. You don't blow up a, you don't, blow, you, don't you don't blow up a bunch of engine parts and it all comes together in the aftermath and you have a working engine. You don't blow up matter. Before there was time, and all of a sudden, everything comes into order. Chaos doesn't go into order. Order can go into chaos, but chaos cannot come into order. What we see is the sign of the power of God, the miracles of God. Our God is real. Our God is sustaining life, sustaining our life. Do Do we believe? And so in line with that, do we believe that God could do miracles today? Yes. In a moment of time, God can do a miracle, because the God who's sustaining the universe right now is the God we serve, It's the same God that we serve. Whatever sickness, whatever disease, whatever situation we're facing, God still does miracles. He is in the miracle business, because he can't help it. When he gets out of bed, if he would sleep, he'd roll out of bed a miracle worker, because he's God. He's who he is. He's supernatural. He does wondrous things. Matthew 19, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With man, this is not possible. With God, all things are possible. Amen? No, we don't believe that man has control over miracle power. No. We don't believe that God is a genie in the bottle to serve our needs. No, we don't believe that there is some kind of formula to, access, to accessing God's to accessing God's power. But may we never forget that God is God. And the very nature of God is supernatural. Our Christian faith is not just orthodox doctrine to affirm, though we talked about that earlier, right? It's not, that's not just all it is. Our Christian faith is in a Savior who rose from the dead. Now to him who is able. So let's pray for faith. We need faith to believe that he is. And we need faith to believe that he's able. I don't know the situations you're facing, what you're walking through right now, the impossibilities that are in front of you, but our God's able? He may not answer your prayers in the way in which you're asking him to answer them, but he will answer your prayer. He may leave you in the situation that you're facing. He may leave you there, and that may be according to his will, but he promises to be with you in the middle of it. So the answer may not come the way in which we want it, and, 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 and no, we can't control God, and when he does his miracles, all of that is true, but God can and does do the impossible. And we need faith to believe that he's able. Faith to believe that he is. Faith to believe that he's able. And thirdly, we need faith to believe that he is able to keep us. He is, he is able, and he's able to keep us. Listen, look back at Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. According to the power at work in us, this power, this resurrection power of Christ dwells within us. Track with me here. This power works within us. And then Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says here, throughout all generations. Throughout all generations. So what you see here, Paul is alluding to, is that throughout all generations, the power of Christ is at work within all believers. We need faith to believe that he's able to keep us. He is able to keep us throughout all generations of work The gospel in the kingdom will continue throughout all generations. Do you hear me? I know my mic's cutting out, but listen, listen. The work of the gospel in the kingdom will continue throughout all generations. What does all generations mean? That means all of them. That means every single one of them. This means that God's kingdom work cannot be defeated. Defeated. It goes on from generation to generation. The Lord's able to keep us. He's able to keep us. His work continues in His people from generation to generation, and I believe that's such a comforting reality. When you look at around at our world today, it is a comforting reality to understand that the work of God, that is at work, that work of Christ, that is at work within us, the power of Christ at work within us, will be at work from generation to generation, this generation of Christians to the next generation of Christians to the last generation of Christians before the return of Christ, that work of Christ will continue. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will hinder it. Nothing will end it. It continues to generation to generation. That is the keeping power of God. We need faith to believe that Christ will keep us no matter what is going on all around us. I think there's two things to think about Two different standpoints and perspectives to think about when we're thinking about the keeping power of God from a global standpoint. Here's the first perspective wars and rumors of wars, mass shootings in Maine, inflation, skyrocketing insurance. No matter what's going on in Israel with Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran, and no matter how, I, you know, I was watching the news the other day. You, it's important to keep up with what's going on in society and the culture. But there comes a point, sometimes you have to be like, okay, I want to be informed, but man, I got to turn this guy off. This guy, this retired war general, I think he just liked to hear himself talk. And by the time I was done listening to him, me and Joel were listening to him. I was like, Joel's like, daddy, are we going to be okay? Yes, we are going to be okay. We are going to be okay. Will it be difficult? I don't know. Yes, it will, but I don't know when, right? But it's going to be okay from generation to generation, wars and rumors of wars, mass shootings, God's kingdom work goes on and we need to pray for faith in times like now. It's easy to allow the circumstances of our world to drown out our trust in God. It's easy to look at the news and to see, oh man, look at what's going on and look at the chaos and the drama and, and, to, be, and to forget that God's the one that's in control. The work will continue from generation to generation. I was reminded in my study of of King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember King Neb? He thought he was something. He thought he was the man. Look at Daniel chapter 4. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Wow. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You know, that's some strong words that King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. It's a lot of mocking of God. I think about people who mock God, and it can be discouraging. We had a representative. We have a, 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 a politician from Louisiana who became Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And he got up, and he gave a speech, and he talked about you know, his belief in God and God's Word. And somebody asked him about cultural issues, and he said, You want to know my worldview? Go take the Bible off the shelf. Look at that Bible. That's my worldview. Like, yay for him. Amen. But there's Nebuchadnezzars out there who mock God and mock God's way. A man by the name of Bill Maher. Listen to this. Listen to what Bill Maher said of the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He compared him to the mass shooter in Maine. Mass shooter in Maine said he heard voices. And so this is what Bill Maher said about Mike Johnson. He said he hears voices as well. He said, there's not much of a difference between, it's a small difference between Mike Johnson and the mass shooter in Maine. Mockery, right? King Nebuchadnezzar mocking God. But listen to the conclusion of Daniel chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar walked on his on his." Hands and his feet like an animal for seven years. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from what? From generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Amen? Amen. So from a global standpoint, from generation to generation, the Lord reigns. From generation to generation, the Lord does according to his will in heaven and on earth. And no one can alter his purposes. Though the darkness is great, the light of Christ is greater. From a personal standpoint, here's the other standpoint I think we need to consider. The Lord is able to keep us in Christ. He's able to keep us in Christ. We, we get distracted by the global standpoint, the global realities, and, and our faith can be tested in those things, but, but nothing is, is more impactful than when it comes home, when the diagnosis comes, when the cancer comes, when the loss of the loved one comes, when the, the job loss comes. We need faith to persevere, We need faith to believe the Lord is able to keep us in Christ. When marriage and family struggles come, when our kids aren't serving the Lord, when husbands and wives are like roommates in their house, we need faith to believe he's able to keep us, that we're going to make it, that our marriages will stay strong. We were doing pre-marriage counseling last night with a, an awesome couple after gumbo and before homecoming, squeezed in some pre-marriage counseling, shoved down some Mexican food, and talked about marriage. Estelle said this. I'm going to quote my wife. This is a little bit of a paraphrase. I didn't write it down, but this is the general gist of what she was saying. I want you to think about this personally. You can know, Estelle says, how important marriage is in God's mind by how many ways the enemy works to undermine God's good plan for marriage. You can know how important marriage is in God's mind by how many ways the enemy works to undermine God's good plan for marriage. Think about the pressures on our marriage today. The things that the enemy is working to undermine the unity of our marriage, whether it's distraction from the Internet, whether it's the distraction of pornography, whether it's the coworker that begins to flirt, whether it's whether it's anxiety and pressure, sickness, disease, the enemy will use and take advantage of all kind of opportunities to undermine the image of God in the earth in marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage, and, and we need faith to believe that he is able to keep us, to keep our marriages, to keep us unified, to keep us, and to help us to forgive, to help us to unify again with our spouse. So from a personal standpoint, the Lord is able to keep us. Look at Jude chapter 1, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The Lord is able, now to him, just like Paul said in Ephesians 3, now to him, now to him, who is able. Jude says, now to him, glory to the one who is able, who is all power, who has dynamite power, who can heal every marriage, who can heal every disease, who can bring the child back home, who can provide abundantly above all we ask or think, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. We need to pray for faith to believe God in all circumstances, in global unrest and in personal distress. Faith to stand in trial. I just want to say this real quickly before we conclude here. Faith to stand in trial is often overlooked as not being great faith. Faith to stand in the middle of a broken marriage, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of anxiety. Faith to stand in trial is often overlooked as not being great faith. Some may say, if you had great faith, this X, Y, Z wouldn't happen. Or if you had great faith, you should do this or that. I'm here to tell you that I think it is one of the greatest demonstrations of great faith. When we stand in the trial and we stand in the disease, and we stand in faith in the difficult marriage, and we stand in faith when the kids are getting worse and rebelling even more, but we persevere, and we cling to God, and we remind ourselves that not not only is God real, and not only is he able, but he's able to keep us. He's able to keep us. We need faith to believe that he is, that he's able, and he's able to keep us. There's a demon-possessed boy that finds Jesus, or a father of a demon-possessed boy that finds Jesus. Father brings a demon-possessed boy to Jesus, and you find the account in Mark 9. And so Jesus asked the boy's father, look at Mark 9, starting in 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood. So can you, can you imagine? How many years was it? We don't know how old he was. But it, it's been a long time. This boy is demon possessed and is showing the signs. So as a parent, put yourself in this father's shoes for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. He is desperate for his boy to be healed, to be cleansed, to be well and he's prayed, and he's prayed, and he's prayed, and he's prayed, and he's seen, He now he's seeing. there's hope, there's hope. There's a miracle worker, but he's struggled, and he's struggled, and he's struggled, and he, he's had difficult moments and times, but then there, there's this miracle worker. Maybe there's hope. Maybe this man, maybe, 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 maybe he can do it, but, but the struggle is great. From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Think about that. From a, father, from a parent's standpoint, this is your child, and you're believing, and you're praying, and you're praying, and now there might be hope. Maybe, maybe this man can do something. Listen to what the Father says. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He looks at the God of creation, and he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And look what Jesus says in verse 23. Notice it's a question mark after Jesus' statement. He says, if you can What's Jesus saying there? He's saying you—you just said if you can do anything, I'm—you're asking me if I can, if I can. I just—I think that's how Jesus said it. If I can, said Jesus. This is what Jesus says: everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, "I do believe." I do believe. On this side, I believe. I I believe. I have faith. Help me overcome my unbelief. My brothers and sisters, that's the Christian life. Lord, I believe. I believe that you're going to heal me. God, I believe it's going to get better. Lord, I believe, but God, I don't believe. <laughs> God, I'm struggling to see it. That's the encapsulation of the Christian life. This life is hard. God, I believe that you're able. I believe that you're capable. But God, I'm struggling to believe. I believe, Lord, I believe. But it's hard. My faith is weak. The point of this message is not that we would pray for great faith. The point of this message is that we, we have weak faith, and we know it. I don't have perfect faith. I don't even have strong faith. My doubts, listen, are you like me? My doubts catch me in the middle of the night. That's my Doubting Thomas moments. In the middle of the night, I become a Doubting Thomas. It's all going to fall apart. Everything's gone. My doubts catch me in the middle of the night. My fears arrest me without my consent. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. We need faith to believe that he is, that he is able, that he's able to keep us in the middle of our doubt, in the middle of our unbelief, in the middle of our fear, our anxiety, our worry. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to trust you. So Doubting Thomas, you remember where we left him? You remember we left Doubting Thomas? What What did Doubting Thomas say? What did Thomas say? Unless I see, I will never believe. That's where we left him, right? What happened next? Let's pick up the story, John 20, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples are inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, (laughs) Jesus came and stood among them. What, what an interesting detail. Do you ever just read Scripture and stop and think and ponder? Why is that in there? It's in there for Thomas. The doors were locked. Why? It doesn't matter that the doors are locked. It means that the doors are locked. It means that Jesus didn't go through the door. It means he doesn't need a door to enter a room. That's what that means. It means that God is Supernatural. Jesus is supernatural. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So I want to conclude this message saying this to all of us weak faith people in the room. (laughs) All of us who struggle with faith, the Lord walks through walls for those who doubt and those who have unbelief. He comes after us and he pursues us in the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our unbelief. He's not expecting us to have perfect faith. We just have to believe that he is. And he keeps us. And he comes to us, and he says, touch here. See, don't disbelieve, but believe. He doesn't reject us in our unbelief. He doesn't reject us in our doubts. He doesn't reject us in our fear. He calls us to come to him, and he comes to us. This is our God. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And now listen, listen, what Jesus said next. This is Jesus' words to us. It's not to Thomas. What Jesus ends with here is not to Thomas. It's not, it's not to the other disciples that are in the room. They got to see him walk through a wall. This word that Jesus says right here that he ends with, and I'm going to end my sermon with, is for us today. Listen to the words of Christ. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And from generation... From generation to generation to generation till Christ comes, till Christ returns, we who have not seen will continue to believe. Why? Because the power of the gospel is true. Amen? Amen.